You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. So here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And so when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of Psalm and we'll be reading the full uh, chapter of 22. So I'll be reading from the CSB version and uh, we'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles um, and also it'll be displayed on the screen. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and my, from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted, and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because distress is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. 
who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. What a question, right? If I could ask God anything, why does he allow suffering? It's not an abstract question. And it's not even primarily a philosophical question. In fact, if you came here looking for a big intellectual philosophical answer, I may just disappoint you. Because fundamentally, it's a personal question, isn't it? It's not just why does God allow suffering, it's why does God allow my suffering? Maybe you're here today and life hasn't turned out how you thought. And you genuinely wonder, why? Why would God allow all of that to happen? And if that's you, can I say, thank you for coming today. And thank you for allowing me this moment to offer some reflections into your situation. I want to be honest with you up front. I, I don't know what you're going through. And I never presume to say, I know how you feel. I hate it when people say that because I just don't. And I could stand here and give an intellectual defense of God, but if I don't listen to your pain, it wouldn't matter if I'm right. It should be really cruel. I'm not going to do that to you. And I know that whatever I say today, I can't fix your suffering. I can offer an answer, but no answer, however helpful, can ever take your pain away. I know that. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask that question, why does God allow suffering? And I know that pain can make it really hard to hear things clearly. But I want to ask all of us today to be at least open to hearing God's answer, whether or not you're a Christian. And I want to prep you, it might not be the answer we want or even expect, but it might just be the answer we need. And we're going to hear God's word in the Bible because it's his word to us. You see in the end, don't come this morning to listen to me. I have nothing to offer you. It doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God says. He's the one we're asking. The question is, will we be open to his answer? And I want to suggest at least that God might answer, respond to that question today in at least four ways. In at least four ways. Why, why does God allow suffering? I think, I suspect the first thing he might say is this, your suffering breaks my heart. Your suffering breaks my heart. You know, when I was in uni, one of my friends, um, his mum died unexpectedly. I remember going to the funeral, seeing my friend just break down. I've never seen that friend cry like that before. And I just saw that and I thought to myself, God, don't, don't you care? I mean, like, I'm looking at my friend right now like this. Surely you can't be looking at him, looking at his grief, and just let it happen. But it can feel like that, can't it? 
It can feel like when we suffer that no one understands it and that God just doesn't care. But I want you to know that right throughout the Bible, God shows us that he does. Gosh, he cares far more than we could ever imagine. In fact, I want you to know that nothing could be more contrary to God's heart than our suffering. God created this world to be one without suffering or death. He looked at the world that he created, and this is what he said. It is good. But we look at our world today, we look at our lives today. I don't know what you say. but I know what I say. I look at our world today, and sometimes I look even at my own life, and I don't say it is good. I say it's broken. This isn't the way that it's meant to be. Suffering isn't the way that it's meant to be. And so we wonder, how did such a good world end up so shattered? How did something so glorious end up so broken? And the Bible says it all started in Genesis 3 with one fatal decision. All of humanity walked away from God. All of us turned our backs on our good creator and we said, you know what, I'd rather live a life without God in it. And that one decision, that one decision to reject God from our lives, it opened Pandora's box. In Genesis 4 to 11, we see the suffering that it unleashed on our world. Just within a few chapters, we see murder, sexual abuse, pride, and death. And it all started with just one decision. A decision that, in fact, all of us continue to make each and every day, as long as we say no to God in our lives. Romans 5 says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Can you hear what it's saying? It's saying all of our sin has led to all of our suffering. All of our sin has led to all of our suffering. But I want to be clear right now, right? I, I, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that someone's individual suffering is because of their personal sin. I'm not saying that. I once heard someone tell their friend they were physically sick because they must have done something wrong. And some friend they are, right? It's awful. I want you to hear what one author, Sam Albury, Albury writes. It is not that one person's suffering is a sign of his or her sin, but that anyone's suffering is a sign of everyone's sin. You see, friends, this is a, humanity, a human-wide problem, a problem that afflicts us all. All of us have turned away from God, and so all of us suffer the consequences of a life and a world cut off from his love. And that's exactly what the ultimate suffering really is. A life without God. The Bible says that that's what death really is. It's God's judgment which gives us what we deserve and sadly what we desire. You see, judgment is this. If we really want a life without God, then that's exactly what God will give us. 
Death is the ultimate suffering. It's a life separated from God and His love. In the words of Psalm 90, all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Doesn't that so tragically describe the reality of our lives? Struggle, sorrow, and a sigh. And then it's gone. And it's all because of that root problem, God's judgment, which which gives us what we deserve and what we desire. We wanted a life without God. And we get a life without God. But let me ask for a moment, how do you think then God must feel? Do you think that God is somehow happy to judge us? Do you think that he's somehow indifferent at the thought of us living an eternity apart from him? I want you to imagine for a moment uh, a man whose wife cheats on him and leaves him for multiple other lovers. He does everything possible to bring her home. He cuts the credit card. He confronts her lovers. He calls her friends. But she won't come home. And it's tragic because she runs from lover to lover, is abused and taken advantage of. And this man, the husband who loves her so much, has to sit there, stand there, and watch his own wife destroy herself. Hoping that in her self-inflicted suffering, she might see that life without him, life apart from him, just isn't worth it. Is that the picture of God's heart which breaks at our suffering? In Hosea 4, God watches his people suffer everywhere. The land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes. But I want you to see that all that suffering is because they abandoned their devotion to the Lord. They cheated on their God. They wanted a life without him. So let me ask, how do you think God must feel? God is actually like a scorned husband who who does whatever he can to to bring us home. But we just won't come back. And with a broken heart, he watches us destroy our own lives and hopes that in our suffering we might see life without God just isn't worth it. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us and He will heal us. He has wounded us and He will bind up our wounds. You see, friends, all of our suffering, the depression, the disaster, the disease, the death, is a symptom of a deeper sickness. We live in a world under judgment, a world separated from the God who loves us. If you're suffering today, as I'm sure so many of us are, please can you see that God, He cares more than you could ever realize. Your suffering breaks His heart more than anything else and He just 
wants you to come home. But God, I want you to know, doesn't just wait for us to come back. Because He knows this tragic truth. He knows that if He's going to wait for us to come back to Him, we just won't. So instead of waiting for us to come to Him, God decided to come to us. In Jesus, God says, I have taken on your suffering. I've taken on your suffering. You know, when you see someone you love suffer, isn't there just some part of you which wants to take on their suffering? Part of you just wants to trade places with them. We think to ourselves, right? We look at this one that we love so much suffering and we think to ourselves, or we plead with God, you know what? Give them my life and give me theirs. Give them my health. I'll take their sickness. When we see someone suffer and we love them so deeply, we just want to swap places with them, don't we? But we can't. We can't take on their suffering. We can't be their substitute. But God can. And God did. Philippians 2 says that Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Just think about that. We turned our backs on God. We walked away from Him. We suffer the consequences each and every day. But instead of waiting for us to come to Him, Jesus came to us. And He did what no one else could do. He took on our life of immense suffering so that we can have His life of immense joy. He relived our story in our place so that our lives don't have to be marked by suffering and struggle and death anymore. And He did even more than that. He didn't just take on our suffering in His life. He took on our suffering by His death. You see, before we saw that there is no greater suffering than God's judgment, than a life without God. There's no greater suffering than death itself. But look at what Philippians 2 goes on to say. When Jesus had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the cross is a symbol of the judgment we deserve and desire. It's a picture of the ultimate suffering of an eternity without God. Friends, that is the suffering that Jesus took on for us. He took on the greatest suffering of all. And He took away the greatest suffering of all. You see, God could have waited for us to come to Him, but the truth is we never would have. Instead, like that man who goes in search of his adulterous wife, God came in search of us. And He took on our ultimate suffering so that we don't have to suffer an eternity without Him. Before when we read those words, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? They are the words that Jesus cried 
so that we don't have to. Jesus was abandoned in our place. Jesus was forsaken in our place. Jesus suffered in our place. Jesus died in our place so that we can come back to God. And I want you to know, right, when when we come home to him, everything in our lives can slowly start to be renovated. We can start to rebuild those right relationships with each other as grace heals the wounds of betrayal. And we can start to find a true home in the church where division and hatred should be no more. But it all starts with coming home to God. That's the greatest suffering that needs to be healed before all other forms of suffering can be addressed. And it's only when we stop suffering that life without God that we can start to put our lives back together. For if you realize what all of this means, sure, yes, our suffering breaks Jesus' heart. He knows exactly how you feel at the lowest moments of your life. But it breaks Jesus' heart because it means he can sympathize with your suffering. He took on your greatest pain. And he took away our greatest pain. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are. In every way as we are. Yet without sin. Sometimes uh, when we suffer, it could be the depths of depression despair or anxiety. It can feel like we're in a hole all alone and everyone else is up there and none of them can understand what it's like to be down here. But Jesus climbed into that hole with us and he knows what it's like to be there in the deepest moments of our lives. But he did so much more than just that. Because you see, if Jesus only just climbed into the hole and stayed there, he might be able to sympathize with my suffering, but he can't actually help me. Sure, I've got someone else now in the hole with me, but I'm still in the hole. It'd be sentiment without substance. But I want you to know Jesus doesn't just sympathize. Jesus saves. He took on our suffering so that he might take away our suffering. He took our place in that hole so that we might climb over him out of that hole and enjoy the life that was otherwise his. We don't have to be down there anymore. Jesus took on our ultimate suffering. He took away our ultimate suffering so that you and I don't have to suffer an eternity without God. The only question is this. Will you come home? Will you embrace that life with God again? I'll tell you what I think though. I hear those first two points. I get it. Is the suffering really breaks God's heart? 
and I get it, Jesus really took on and took away my ultimate suffering. But you know what, Adam, if that's the case, explain to me, why then am I still suffering now? If Jesus suffered so I don't have to, why is my life still so full of pain, grief, sadness, and hurt? If Jesus really took my suffering away, how come I still feel it each and every day? To which God might answer, because I want you to come home. It's because I want you to come home. I said it before when Jeb was asking me the question, right? When we're suffering, it's almost impossible to feel like anything could be any worse. It doesn't matter if it's high-grade suffering, low-grade suffering. If it's my suffering, it's everything. I remember some years ago when I was struggling with anxiety, one of my friends said to me, you know what, Adam, the anxiety you're feeling is nothing compared with others. Which on the one hand, I knew was true. But on the other, I just wanted to hit him and say, you know, the pain you're feeling is nothing compared to others as well. It's not a way to comfort a friend. And yet it is the way that a lot of us comfort each other. Hey man, let me give you some perspective. What you're going through is nothing. This is nothing as well. But Jesus wants to show us, and it was seen throughout this, haven't we? There is a suffering greater than anything we'll experience in this life. It's that ultimate suffering we saw. It's God's judgment for living without him. It's actually what we've always wanted, an eternity without God. And, and God wants to say, I want to say, I want to plead with you, there's nothing worse than that. It's an eternity without love. In Luke chapter 13, uh, there's a tower in a town called Siloam. It falls and it kills 18 innocent people. And Jesus asked this question, do you think they, the people who died, were more sinful than all the other people in Jerusalem? Were these 18 people who died somehow more deserving of death than everyone else? And Jesus, thankfully, answers his own question. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. What's he saying? No, they weren't deserving, they weren't more deserving of death or suffering than anyone else in this world. But unless you turn back to God, unless you come home to God, we all face an eternity without Him. That tragedy and every tragedy and every instance of suffering in our lives is a signal of that far greater suffering. It's like, a, it's like a warning light on the dashboard that tells us something is wrong with our world. This isn't the way it's meant to be. So yes, Jesus has taken on our greatest suffering. We can live a life with God. We can live a life without a fear of judgment. We can live with the confidence that we'll be with God forever. We can live with His love forever. But God says, not everyone has yet come home to me. Not everyone has yet come home to me. 
God allows suffering as a signal for a lost world to come home. He allows suffering as an indicator of the coming judgment. He allows suffering as an opportunity for all of us to realize we need to come back to God. C.S. Lewis, the uh, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, this is what he writes. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And can I say there are actually few megaphones that sound louder than a funeral. We've all had that moment, haven't we, if you've been to a funeral. I've had it multiple times. Every time it's exactly the same. I walk away from a funeral reflecting on my own life. You stare death in the face. And it's right for us to think this isn't right. Something's broken in our world. And in that moment, that funeral, that that moment of death, that ultimate suffering, that, that great tragedy which snuffs out all life and all hope is this big warning sign that says, come home, come home, come home. As much as it breaks his heart, God allows that suffering to be that warning sign and signal. He is like that husband who with a broken heart tragically allows his wife, realizes that there's nothing more that he can do other than to watch his wife unravel her own life as she pursues lover after lover, as he hopes that her pain might tell her, come home, come home. Come home. And I want you to know that's actually true for all of us who are Christians as well. We might never know the exact reasons why we might suffer in this particular circumstance. The reasons are just as many. We might be like Job where God is testing our faith. We might be like the blind man in John 9 where God wants to display his works through our suffering. We might be like the son in Hebrews 12 who God is training to be holy. Or we might be like the rest of humanity in Psalm 90 as we live in a world under judgment. Whatever the reason, and we'll never truly know it, this much is true. God is using our suffering to bring us home to him. He's using our suffering to make us cling to Him. He's using our suffering to show us that Jesus is worth so much more than anything in our world. You see, we might not know why we suffer, but, but we know whom we trust. Just picture for a moment a father who takes his young boy to get immunized. That boy has no idea, no idea why his dad is allowing this stranger to stick a needle into his arm. And from that boy's perspective, his father is clearly allowing him to suffer. But from that father's perspective, he is allowing his son to suffer so that he can avoid a far greater sickness. 
No, you've got to think as he sees his boy, howl in pain, surely it's still got to break his heart. And even though that boy doesn't know why he suffers in this way, he still trusts his dad who's a, who allows it. He still believes against every pain receptor in his body that his dad isn't allowing this pain without a greater purpose. And so I want you to know Jesus has taken on our ultimate suffering. We don't have to live in fear of judgment. We don't have to live in fear of a life without God. We can live with God's love each and every day. But, yes, we still suffer today. Because God wants this whole world to come home. And he wants us to trust him more. And one day, God says, I will bring an end to all suffering. I will bring an end to all suffering. You see, when Jesus returns, he will bring about one of two destinies for everyone in this world. For those of us who insisted on living without God, who ignored all those warning signs and signals of suffering, we will get what we desire and deserve or deserve and desire. We will get that eternity without God. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to suffer that fate. He loves you too much to give you what you want. He wants you to enjoy that second reality. An eternity with him forever. An eternity without pain, suffering, crying or death. An eternity where wars are at an end. All conflict has finally ceased and every broken heart has been healed. That is the eternity that God wants you to be part of. And He is painfully willing to allow suffering now in patience so that you and I have the time to turn to Him and enjoy that eternity forever. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come home. Here's the reality, friends. Jesus could easily return right now and end all our suffering in one hit. But if he did, anyone who hasn't turned to him would forever lose their chance to come home forever. So Jesus would rather wait with a broken heart as he sees the suffering of our world if it means that more of us can come home to God. You know, on that last day, Revelation 21 shows us God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. And they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. You might not be a Christian. You might live a life without God in it. Can I say, God wants you to be there on that day. 
He loves you so much that He is willing to wait. He's willing to wait, even through a broken heart as He sees the suffering world, hoping that you'll heed those warning signs of suffering and come home to Him. On the 30th of July, 1967, a young 17-year-old girl called Johnny went diving with friends around Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. When she dived into the water, she misjudged how shallow it actually was. She fractured her cervical vertebrae. She was rendered a quadriplegic. She then went through two years of rehab and has never been able to use her limbs again. I think she's now in her 60s and has been bound to a wheelchair her whole life. She said during those two years, she just felt so much anger towards God. So much hatred, so much resentment, so much bitterness. And who can blame her? But I want you to hear what she writes as she reflects on her suffering all these years later. Quote, Jesus went without comfort so that you might have it. He postponed joy so that you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so that you might never be alone in your hurt and sorrow. He had no real fellowship so that fellowship might be yours this moment. You can hear what she's saying, can't you? It's exactly what God was saying. Jesus has taken on our ultimate suffering so that he might take away our ultimate suffering, so that you and I will not have to suffer an eternity without God. This is a woman who has suffered every moment of her life. And you might then want to ask her, Johnny, then I get it, that's, that's suffering in heaven, that's suffering in hell, that's suffering next time, but what about your suffering now? How do you reckon with the fact that God has put you in a wheelchair or allow that to happen your whole life. What she then says beautifully captures what God says. Sometimes, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Do not think that God does not care about your suffering. He hates it. But He loves you so much more that He wants you to come home forever. As we suffer, as we struggle, as we sigh through life, will we heed those warning signs and signs Will we come home to God? Will we cast our cares on Him? For He cares for you. Can I pray? Loving God, sometimes you allow what you hate to accomplish what you love. 
And often for us, it's hard for us to see that. God, I, I ask this day that for those of us who are suffering, for those of us for whom life is not the way we thought it would be, please God, help us see in this moment that we can run to you that Jesus knows our suffering and our pain more than anyone else in this world. But he did more than just knowing it. He has taken it away. And he promises that one day we will live a life of eternal joy and love with you. And until that day comes, cast our eyes forward. Help us see the world that you're bringing about. And help us realize how much you love us and how much you love this world that you would give us time to come home to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.